It's episode five of I Can't Even, where we talk about being seniors in the millennial class, figuring out how to adult. I'm Allie. And I'm Margaret. This episode, we'll be talking about what you can do if you can't even deal with the current political climate. We also chat with Heidi Hess, the senior campaign manager at Credo Action. All right, you've probably heard a lot of chants like that lately. Uh, we're recording this a week after the Women's March. Allie was in New York and I was in D.C. And uh, we both had, I'm pretty sure, similar experiences. But Allie, tell me a little bit about New York and what your expectations were versus what you experienced and what the turnout was like. I actually had no idea what to expect. You know, I've never been motivated enough to get off of my ass and go to a march or a protest or a rally of any kind, to be honest. Um, you know, at first I, I assumed everything would be, you know, peaceful and sort of easygoing and like, you know, we're just going to go for a walk with our pink pussy hats on and maybe mm-hmm. meet some cool ladies and call it a day. Um, and then as it got closer and closer, I started to get nervous because I started to see all of like the posts saying you should, you know, write your emergency contacts on your arm in a Sharpie and bring, you know, milk of magnesia with you in case you have to get tear gas out of your eyes. Like, did you see all that stuff going around? I did not, but you had told me specifically about the emergency number thing. And I had just been kind of in my own world about it thinking, like you said, we're going for a peaceful walk. Right. And and so that's when I was like, oh, this, this could get real. Like people, there could be police or tear gas or riots, who knows? Um, but you know, I, I talked myself down and I went in with my best friend, and her mom. And it was almost exactly like I expected the first place. It was just a peaceful, I don't want to call it a walk because we covered like five blocks in like three and a half hours. Um, so it was less than a walk. It was, it was less than a meander. Um, it (laughs) It was just, you know, it was very peaceful. You know, it was a lot of really just enthusiastic people who were, you know, happy to get their voices heard. Yeah. I mean, and I know you spoke with some people about just interesting signs they had and, and sort of why they were there. What, I mean, what were your, what was your favorite perspective, I guess? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know it was a women's march, but I mean, people were there for really all sorts of reasons. Can you read your sign to me? It says in this house, we believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. No human is illegal. Science is real. Love is love and kindness is everything. Thank you. We are the majority. Uh, Bridges, not walls. Hate doesn't make America great. Keep your tiny hands off my rights. And yours is my favorite. Oh, (laughs) I can't believe I still have to protest this shit. Thank you. So why are you marching today? Uh, I'm marching because I'm demanding peace, I'm demanding health, I'm demanding honesty, I'm demanding truth, I'm demanding justice. Um, I'm marching for a variety of reasons, but mainly to stick up for those who don't have a voice because I feel like I have a platform and so many before me have paved the way for me and I feel it's my duty to pave the way for future generations and for those who are not as um, lucky as I am. I'm here to show that we we won't be quiet for these next four years, yeah. It shows shows everyone in the White House that there are people that disagree. Yeah. I saw a lot of, you know, people who were already starting to protest against um, 
President Trump's stance on immigration. Um, but I also, you know, there's a lot of pro-choice stuff and there were a lot of, you know, it was a lot of women's rights stuff, which is just really great and really great to, to be, to be a part of and to feel like empowered by that, especially by, I think the, the women of the boomer generation who are there mm-hmm. and older. I mean, and even older. I mean, I saw like a, a, an old woman in a wheelchair wearing a pussy hat being wheeled around by her equally old husband, also in a pussy hat. And I was like, these people are rock stars. They are, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that that part struck me the most too um, in DC, and I'm sure that was just happening around the country. Was the the number of older people there? The like you said, the boomer generation. I mean, if I talked to so many older women who literally made me cry because they were telling me that they can't keep doing this and we have to continue this fight. And um, you know, I had one woman make me promise her that we would fix this. <laughs> I'm like. I, I want to promise you that, but I don't know that we can, you know, and this was in the the height of, you know, all of the good energy and, um, you know, sort of the chanting and togetherness and everything. And I still felt like, I'm not sure if I can guarantee you that. And she's like, promise me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I promise. I promise. Um, now, were there a lot of families marching down in DC? Did you see like moms and young daughters or moms and sons? Cause I definitely saw a lot of that in New York. Yeah. I, I saw a lot of um, families. I mean, we were on the subway on the Metro in DC with, um, a family that had two young kids and the one, um, boy, he was, you know, the dad was carrying him and they all had pussy hats on the kid, the dad, the, you know, mom, the grandmother in the wheelchair. You know what I mean? It was like everybody. And, um, they, the, the little girl that was with them was, um, getting annoyed that like, it was so crowded (laughs) and it's like, we're not even there yet. You know, just wait till we get off the Metro. We were marching for a long time right next to uh, a woman who had a little girl at a stroller and she was maybe around a year old and she woke up from her nap maybe five blocks south of Trump Tower and her mom had this giant like pink, you know, cat sign and she had a little one on a popsicle stick oh, for the that's baby. So cute. And she was waving it around and it was so cool. And like she kept dropping it and her cup and every, everything was just like falling out of this kid's carriage as kids are wanting to, to do. And in any other crowd, like, you know, people would be like kicking it out of the way and stepping on it and being annoyed. And here, like everyone had to stop and like pick it up. And it was just such a just the, the positive feeling in that crowd was so intense. Yeah. I mean that I think, and you said the same thing earlier, but like, Hey, we're all here to support each other, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't, I'm sure it was a cluster in DC, but I know in New York, you know, we we were totally off the route. Like there was a meeting area and when you got there, it was just like, everyone turn around and go back the other way. (laughs) And like, so you were just kind of like stuck at street corners at red lights behind traffic with all these random strangers waiting to try to wade into the actual protest route. And it was there actually that I got to speak with this really cool mom who wanted her son to see uh, the protest march, and we had a nice chat. Um, we wanted him to see what democracy looks like, and I wanted him to be a part of a women's march because I've raised him to believe in equality. Awesome. That's a great answer. 
I also spoke with a mom who was at the Million Women March in Philadelphia, and she had a similar perspective. In support of women and female power and just show my daughter how we get together. And I know I went to the first Million Women March in Philadelphia 20 years ago. So this is really important for me to be here today, too. Great. Thank you. So that Women's March uh, was one week prior to all of the protests over the Muslim ban that we saw around the country at the various airports. And so all of, I think, the positive feelings that maybe most of us had after that, that we probably hadn't felt since sometime in late October. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it kind of washed away a bit. I mean, you know, right now we're enjoying the ACLU's victory, but I mean, it's, there's just a lot to be done. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've been talking about, sort of how it's only been a week. Um, and, you know, by the time this episode comes out, it'll have been a month, but it's just been a week. And there've just been so many things that have happened every day that it's felt like such a, a much longer period of time. And um, between all the different uh, executive orders he's been issuing and the different actions we've been hearing about, we've been discussing, what do we do? You know, how do we get involved? Um, how do we stay current? You know, how do we actually... Um, make change happen and, you know, do things that make uh, make the government react to, um, you know, this outcry of help. Uh, this is all wrong. And something's weird about the government now. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's all well and good to protest. You know, if you want to just go to the dollar store and stock up on all the poster board and Sharpies you can get, you know, and keep an eye on Twitter to see what's happening in your area. That's great. But a lot of us do not have the schedule to allow to be able to drop everything and protest, but there's still tons of other stuff that you can do. I mean, one thing you can do is you can always follow the Women's March. They have 10 actions and 100 days that you can complete uh, during Trump's first 100 days in office. Uh, right now, they're advocating that you print out postcards to send to your representatives in Congress uh, with Pat about the issues that you're passionate about. So that's a really easy thing to do. You can always also send phone calls. Um, and you can subscribe to services uh, like Credo Action. Yeah, and Credo Action is something we found out about because somebody forwarded us, you know, a petition. And at first it looks like, you know, here's a petition to sign. Do you believe in this cause or not? You sign it and it seems like it's just like change.org, you know? And um, one of the emails I got from them, um, once I got on the list and I started getting other actions and one, one of them I noticed has this calling feature where you could actually, um, sign up to, um, have them connect you to the appropriate person to talk to. So they deliver you a script, you know, it's like, hi, I'm Margaret I'm from Kingston. And then they tell you what to say and, um, connect you. You say like, connect me now. And it connects you to the call of who you're supposed to talk to. And you can keep going. You can make multiple calls or you can make one call. So if you have five minutes and you can make two or three calls, you know, that you can get that done and that's going to make a big impact. Um, so we spoke with Heidi Hess, the senior campaign manager at Credo Action to tell us a little bit more about their organization. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hi, Heidi. We want to just dive right in if that's okay with you. <laughs> um, so tell us what is Credo Action? Great. Uh, yeah. So Credo Action is the activism arm of Credo, which is um, a company that, that offers products like Credo Mobile to fund grassroots activism and progressive nonprofits. And so I'm part of the action team and I get to help 
the 5 million people in our activist network take action on a range of progressive issues from economic justice to civil rights to protecting the environment, um, keeping corporations out of politics. We encourage our members to sign petitions. We ask them to make phone calls. We ask them to to show up in person to send the message, uh, you know, to send messages about what they about what they care about to their representatives and to local officials. Uh, Credo Action seems to make things really simple for people. It's like a like a gateway to getting involved. <laughs> Can you explain how it you know sort of makes it easier to, to sort of be an activist in a way? Definitely. Um, I think that, um, I think you're right about that. We, we send people emails um, or share on Facebook opportunities to take action. And uh, then once people take action with us, so we try to find and provide them with other opportunities to take action on either on that issue or on similar issues that they care about, whether that's like I said, making a phone call or or taking other action, and we sort of funnel it through people's email inboxes or you know through their Facebook feeds. Um, we try to make sure you know we're really serious about about making sure that we're really giving our activists an opportunity to take action where their values lie and to be engaged in progressive politics to the to the level of engagement that feels right for them. Um, and I'm on your list. I get. I think every action you guys do, <laughs> which is great. Um, I wanted to ask, is it more important to make phone calls than it is to sign petitions or are they equally important? Um, and what it, what's the difference in the impact from both of those actions? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there's different impact in those two things. For us at Credo, we're often asking people to sign petitions first to sort of self-identify as being engaged and, and committed to that issue. Um, and then we'll kind of circle back to them and say, all right, now it's time to deepen your engagement and make a phone call. And so for us, people sort of skipping out or thinking, oh, the, it's not worth signing the petition. You know, I don't think that makes sense, right? Because we they don't then get a chance to do something deeper. And also they don't get to be counted in massive opposition, you know, especially right now to things that the Trump administration is pushing, um, they don't get to be counted as part of, of opposition to that. You know, so to give you an example, we have almost a million and a half people who signed our petition to keep Betsy DeVos uh, from being secretary of education. And, and those numbers are, are staggering, you know, and that's just a huge, huge, massive public opposition to one of Trump's cabinet secretaries. And we know that those numbers matter. Um, we know that when we can say to senators uh, that, you know, there's tens of thousands of people in their state who don't, who want them to vote against her, her cabinet nomination, um, that, that that is something that they take seriously. And then when we can follow up those numbers with phone calls, it makes it even stronger. A lot of my friends are pretty intimidated, and myself too, I'll be honest, by calling, by making the calls um, you know, like we keep getting emails saying, you know, call your representative, uh, call this number, call, you know, call somebody in another state, tell them how you feel about it. And I, I do think it's intimidating for a lot of people. Um, so I was wondering if you could explain that, how the calling part of Credo works, because I think it's so great. And I think people will be less intimidated if they know um, that you guys are really making it super easy and hand holding us, you know, <laughs> holding our hands. Yes, 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 totally. Well, um, you know, we try to make it as easy as possible. 
Um, and we definitely always give folks a call script to use. And I, you know, when it's my call campaign, I'm, I'm reading the call script out loud several times to make sure that it's not, you know, too much of a mouthful or too hard to sort of get out in, in one reasonable breath. I can write sentences that are a little bit longer than realistic for that. But, uh, we make sure that we've got a script that's concise and, and fits the targets so, you know, if we're targeting Republicans, we may say things in a different way than we would if we're targeting Democrats for calls. Similarly, we try to make sure that that there's a good connection between why you're calling and, and who the particular target is. So, for example, you know, mostly we think that we want to call the senators, uh, you know, for our own home states, um, which is really important. But when senators are serving on committees, um, they're representing the whole country, right? They're they're making decisions on particular issues, whether that be the senators on the Judiciary Committee making decisions about whether Jeff Sessions is suitable to be the Attorney General or another committee making decisions about whether to investigate Planned Parenthood. They're not just doing that on behalf of their constituents. They're doing that uh, as a represent a small small representative body uh, within a bigger one for the whole country. And so we try to help people sort of understand that and then give them language that makes it makes it make sense for them, say, to be in California, but calling uh, a senator from, you know, Nebraska or something like that. And and yeah, we try to, you know, we, we, we have a tool where the our tool will call your phone and, and you can get started on calls and sort of guide your way through making one or two or three or four if you feel like you, you know, you get in the groove and you want to make more. So we definitely try to make it super easy. Um, and the reality is, is that if our script isn't a fit, you can call and say, you know, one sentence, I'm calling because I don't want Betsy DeVos to be in charge of the Department of Education. Thanks so much. And, and that works too. Uh, so we want to make sure people, you know, find their own comfort level with what they feel like they want to say. Well, that's perfect. It's definitely, you know, like activism for dummies almost. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I like that. That's totally my speed. Um, but for people who are more ambitious, perhaps, than I am, um, you know, if you've made the phone calls, you followed the script, maybe you sent the postcards, you printed out, like, what's the next step? What's some, you know, like bigger motions you can make to enact change? Yeah, you know, I think there's... I, I, there's there's lots of things you can do next. I think that if you if you live in a state where your representative isn't representing you, you can go see them at their office or see their staffers at their office. Um, you can go to town hall meetings and and make your voice heard and you can organize your friends to go with you. If you live in a state with democratic senators, you can make sure that your democratic senators know either by visiting or dropping them a card in the mail or, or going to their town halls that you expect them to be an absolute firewall against Trump's dangerous agenda and that 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 they that you have their back when they want to resist Trump. If you you know if you live essentially in any city in the country, you can figure out what your community is doing to keep immigrants safe. And if they're not doing enough, you can ask them to do more. Um, there's a lot of organizations, United We Dream, Mi Gente are two that come to mind that are doing work to, to promote sanctuary and have, you know, toolkits and resource guides to, to, to think about, you know, what are the kinds of things that cities could do to, to be sanctuary spaces for immigrants. And, and those are small, you know, those are policy, those are policies at the local level. What is your police department going to do if ICE asks to 
to talk to someone who's in police custody in your community? Uh, what is your police department going to ask people what their immigration status is as part of um, interacting with them? It's small things like that that actually are really, really matter. Um, and, and, you know, every city in the country has the opportunity to look out for immigrants in, in those ways. That's really great advice, because I think a lot of people don't really think about how local a lot of yep. these issues can become. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially and not just with immigration, but but certainly immigration is one of those ways where, you know, it is going to be standing up to Trump is going to be partly at the very local level. And Trump knows that, which is why he's threatening sanctuary cities. Right. And so we need to support the cities that are already taking steps to provide sanctuary. And we need to ask cities that aren't to do more. Since there are so many executive orders and, you know, cabinet nominations and SCOTUS nominations, there's just so much happening in such a short period of time. Like, are you guys almost having trouble keeping up with everything or, you know, there's is there more popular stuff than usual? There's certainly a lot to do. Um, and we're certainly, you know, working on multiple fronts uh, at once. And, you know, I think we, we're seeing, we're definitely seeing some things be more popular, but I think we're also seeing just across the board, really increased engagement from the people on our list. And I, and I think that's true everywhere. Um, you know, I spent, I spent some time at the San Francisco International Airport after, uh, Trump's Muslim ban executive order. And, you know, I think, across the country, even though so many people had come out the weekend before for the women's march, you know, there wasn't, oh, well, I went out last weekend. It was, oh no, I'm going to stand up when it's, when I need to stand up and, and I need to do that today. And so people, you know, heeded the call and went out. So, so I think there are some things, you know, we're like our, our members are, are extremely, you know, opposed to Trump's swamp cabinet. They're very opposed to the Muslim ban. They are ready to sort of uh, stand up and fight any kind, any attempt by the current extremist Congress to restrict abortion rights. They're they're, you know, going to do, you know, going to do everything they can to sort of stand up for the environment, whether it's the Dakota Access Pipeline or, or other things. Uh, but I think in general, people are pretty, they're pretty aware that the fight is going to be on lots of fronts, and that we're going to have to be able to to respond uh, across the board and not just in our in silos. How does Credo Action uh, help to support women's rights in particular? Yes, we do. We do lots of things. So um, we do lots of things in our activism, and then we do lo a lot of things in our in our in our funding. So uh, Credo, as a company, uh, we uh, donate a percent of our revenues every month to progressive nonprofits. Uh, so we've we've donated over eighty two million dollars over the course of our life as a company to organizations like Planned Parenthood and NARAL, as well as organizations, um, you know, that fight for women's rights internationally. Um, we're Planned Parenthood's largest corporate contributor and something that we're really proud of. Uh, and then, you know, that commitment sort of then translates over into the, the work of the Credo Action Team where, where I sit. We, you know, we fight for abortion rights. Um, we, we want to be the fiercest defender of Planned Parenthood when it's facing defunding either at the national level or in the States, um, and work really closely with our colleagues at Planned Parenthood and, and at NARAL to, to do that work. Um, you know, the, the abortion rights fight is, has been happening in the States for a long time. And, you know, now that Republicans sort of are able to run the table more federally, we're going to be seeing those fights absolutely unfolding in Congress as well. 
you know, as, as the ACA gets challenged, you know, the ACA really helped bring some equality to women's health care that we hadn't seen before. So the birth control mandate covering pre-existing conditions, you know, uh, covering, you know, maternity care and preventative care in much more comprehensive ways. And, you know, so we know all those things are at risk. We, we pushed hard to help President Obama make changes to Title 10, which is family planning funding that goes to the states to not restrict, not let states restrict that to um, providers who provide, who also provide abortion care. So, and the Republicans are trying to overturn that. So we'll be pushing on that for sure. I think I'm, I think I'm thinking of lots of the things, but there's probably more that we try to do for, for women's rights. Um, I guess equal pay and, and paid family, paid family leave and paid medical leave um, are also issues that are, you know, not exclusively um, women's issues, but ones that we fight on as well. Have you guys had any, you know, big victories uh, that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, um, we have. We, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, it felt for us, these are, this, this isn't super recent. We felt really good about blocking the, the, the push to defund Planned Parenthood the last round, which is about, I guess, maybe 16, 18 months ago, um, helping, you know, deliver, you know, massive numbers of calls into, into Congress in, and pushing back on their efforts to defund Planned Parenthood at the federal level. Um, we definitely felt like we helped push the Obama administration to um, do the right thing with regard to the Dakota Access Pipeline, although now, of course, that's in jeopardy uh, with our new president. Um, one of the things that we 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 felt we, we, we pushed hard on last year uh, and that, you know, I think will come up again this year uh, probably in other states is North Carolina's HB2, um, which was, um, you know, it's discriminatory LGBTQ bill. You know, the state came under a lot of fire from corporations for, for basically, you know, institutionalizing discrimination against LGBTQ people. Um, we particularly pressured the NBA and the NCAA to, um, to pull games out of North Carolina while North Carolina had that bill had that law in the books, um, and they both did. So the NBA pulled the all-star game and the NCAA, uh, said it wasn't going to have any, um, championships game, championship games in the state while that law was on the books. So feels like important. Um, it was an important victory, you know, the other states that are considering that we know that they are aware of, of the backlash that can ensue if they do pass those bills. And we know that, you know, we can, we can mobilize lots of pressure to, to move uh, institutions like like the NCAA and the NBA. Um, another campaign we worked on sort of leading up to Trump's inauguration was a campaign to get companies to refuse to build a Muslim registry. Um, so we pulled together a group of around 25 progressive and civil rights organizations to ask tech companies not to help facilitate or build a Muslim registry. Um, and we got sort of pressure from us and then pressure from the media Google, Twitter, Facebook, um, Apple, and others sort of all all said that they would not help build or facilitate the registry. There's still some companies that are holdouts. We're still pushing on them, and certainly now that you know now that Trump's in office, there's certainly more to ask of those tech companies in terms of how they retain data, how they um, whether or not they allow users to be anonymous on their platforms and things like that to really protect users from 
from information demands that the Trump administration may make, but it felt like a great early win to have those companies on the record saying that they wouldn't they wouldn't support uh, a registry. Can we talk about hope real quick? Sure. Because <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of people um, are doing a lot and want to do a lot and want to get more involved. And this is all such helpful information for so many people. Um, but I think we want to know from somebody who's like literally on the front lines like you are, you know, how how terrible is it right now? And and do you personally have a great hope because of all of this involvement that things could actually improve and that we are making a huge difference by being involved? Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think things are bad. I think we should expect Trump to do everything he promised, or at least to try to do everything that he promised. And I think that we should expect that the Republican Party, which, you know, has has been a racist, misogynistic party for a long time, well before Donald Trump, will will not really check him and will, you know, use his presence in the White House to advance, you know, an extremist agenda that they've had for a long time. So that's like the grim side of things. Um and then I think there is, you know, I think there's a lot to, to be hopeful about. Um, I think that the airport protests for me were differently inspiring than the women's march the week before. I put my, I put my kids and, you know, my husband and I put our kids on the BART train and we were headed down to San Francisco airport and there was a woman going from car to car, you know, saying I'm, I'm Muslim American. I grew up in Berkeley and I'm on my way to, to the SFO to stand up against Trump. And I, I just hope as many of you as possible can join me. And people were cheering and sharing sign paper and Sharpies and, and, you know, and, and, and unlike, I felt like the weekend before where, you know, people had, had had time to sort of work on their carefully crafted signs. Um, these were, you know, pizza boxes and, and random pieces of cardboard that people had clearly sort of just figured out where to find on Saturday morning and gotten on the train and gotten their markers. And they were going to go and they were going to say like, this is not the country that I believe in. This is not who we are as a country. And this is not going to happen in my name. And, you know, there were thousands of people at the San Francisco airport with no notice and no plan. And, and so we can stand up to it, you know, and we, and we can both locally and nationally say, this is not going to happen on our watch. And I think that's really, really inspiring. And I think it will, I think we're going to, we're going to, we, you know, I, I, we have to keep doing that. And I think we will. Yeah. It's going to be a long fight. It's going to be a so long it's, it's great fight. great to see that people still have energy yeah. <laughs> after these long two yeah, weeks no, to keep exactly. going. I mean, we all have to find the ways to take care of ourselves and we all have to figure out, you know, when we need to take breaks, but we, we all have to do it. Um, you know, I said to my, some parent friends right after the election, you know, this is going to be our chance to really show our kids what it means to be an ally and, and what it means to really live our values. And it's an opportunity in the middle of a lot of challenge, but I think it's an important, it's, you know, there will be, there will be joy and 
and celebration in the struggle, even though it's going to be really, really hard. Well, I think we should totally end this on that positive note <laughs> yes. so we don't bum anyone else yeah, out with good. any further information. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to have thank you. Thank you guys yeah, so much Heidi. for having me. Thank you for everything. Bye. 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 Thanks again to Heidi Hess. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Can't Even. For more information, go to credoaction.com or check out our website, theicantevenshow.com. Never miss an episode of I Can't Even. Please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. I Can't Even Show is written and produced by Allison Hanford and Margaret Verghese and edited by See Through Sound. 